You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Peter Constantine is a recipient of the PEN Translation Prize and a National Translation Award. His translations include The Essential Writings of Machiavelli, Voltaire's Candide, and Tolstoy's The Cossacks. He's translated a new edition of Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince. Thank you for joining me, Mr. Constantine. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. One of the things that you point out right in your introduction, I think this is very interesting, is that The Prince was not written in Latin. It was written in Tuscan Italian, and that gives it a very different tone, doesn't it? Yes, the uh, the, the time that Machiavelli was writing, began his writing, continued his writing, was a time of very interesting upheaval, not only politically, but also in, in the language, the culture. Italy was, was forming, falling apart, reforming. In as far as his choice of, of writing in, in, in Italian in a, in a modern Florentine idiom. He wasn't the first to do so, because we, we do have Dante, we have uh, Boccaccio, uh, so we have the Divine Comedy, we have the Decameron, and, and many other writings of, of, of that kind. But these were the first generations who had the option of writing either in, in Latin, which would have meant that uh, the, the, the writing would come with a cachet of, of iron-proof seriousness, or in in this wild, or not so wild, Tuscan dialect. And and he was not just a a political theorist. One of the things that we find right off the bat, from the introduction, in fact, uh, of The Prince, is that he was a a literary writer. Uh, He was writing politics as literature, and, and he had to be careful as to what he said. And so it required all his skill to say what he was going to say. Uh, yes, and, and actually I, I'm always time and time again surprised at, at how how close he comes to the edge and how sometimes he steps over it. Uh, we mustn't forget that part of the reason that The, the Prince has been such a controversial work for, for 500 years now and uh, extremely controversial after Machiavelli's death. It was published about five or six years after he died. And uh, immediately there there was a a big outrage, not because of the cynicism that has been perceived in the word Machiavellian, but but, uh, the the church, the Catholic Church, was not pleased. I should perhaps read a, a very short line or two which will show you how what I mean by, by, by how, how dangerously close the line he would walk. Uh, may I do that? Sure. In the, the prince, the, the first chapters are laid out in, uh, in the different kinds of principality that there are. And one of them is the ecclesiastical principality that he describes. And this, I think, is a, is a sort of very refreshingly shocking passage. So he describes, Machiavelli describes the ecclesiastical principalities. He says, ecclesiastical principalities are sustained by age-old religious institutions, which are so strong and uh, efficacious that these principalities will maintain their princes in power regardless of how they live or what they do. Their princes are the only ones who have states they do not defend and subjects they do not govern. 
Although such states are undefended, they are not taken away from these princes, and the subjects, although they are ungoverned, remain unconcerned and neither think of nor are able to estrange themselves from these princes. But these principalities are the only principalities that are secure and successful. But since they are under the guidance of a superior power that the mind of man cannot fathom, I will not discuss them. For they are exalted and maintained by God. It would be presumptuous. It would be the act of a presumptuous and audacious man to do so. Nevertheless, one might ask how it is that the church has gained so much temporal power. And then he continues. And so even though he said he wasn't going to, to discuss that because it, it would be a pre presumptuous and an audacious act to, to question the pope or to question his position as the ambassador uh, of God on earth. He does say non di manco, nevertheless, and actually there are very many non di mancos in The Prince, where he will make a, a bland and elegant statement and say, well, you know, we won't, we won't touch the subject. However, we might want to ask, and then he does touch the subject. As a writer, Machiavelli finds himself in the uncomfortable position, and we see this uh, in the, his introduction, of being smarter than the superiors he's addressing his work to. And so he has to, uh, this book is filled with tacit insults to those to whom he is addressing the work. He, he says, in fact, the only thing he has to offer them is advice. He can't offer them anything else. And these are his superiors. So the whole entire book requires a level of literary skill that is, I think, unacknowledged. What he wanted was a unified Italy. In other words, he wanted, I think, what, what we have t today for Italy because the, the Renaissance world with its warring principalities, small towns, the, the constant threat of invasion from all around, the, the big powers, he, he was hoping that one prince would be strong enough, would read this book, a Medici prince perhaps, and use these ideas, these skills, the, the, the many, many years of political experience that Machiavelli had, uh, that this would be used in, in order to, to wage a, a, a successful campaign, in other words, to expand, occupy, and, and keep a bigger, more powerful nation together. He, he said this in no uncertain practical terms, and what has been surprising for centuries to the readers is made with a directness. Uh, what we today call Machiavellian, and perhaps unfairly, because I think very many people who use the word Machiavellian don't quite know what... what uh, well, they know what it means, but uh, maybe not its long etymology, where it came from, how, how it happened to be. Could you talk about some of that etymology? Because uh, as I read Machiavelli, I, I saw him as not being particularly Machiavellian. Well, I'm, I'm glad you say that because I, I, I strongly feel that way too. Um, Machiavellian actually came into the English language uh, long before The Prince was translated or, or Machiavelli's um, works were available in English. And what, what happened was that after 1533, and, and actually in, in England itself, it, it was a very interesting period because that was the, the moment when England changed from being a Catholic nation uh, Henry VIII was excommunicated actually the same year that, the, that this book uh, was first published in Italy. So uh, th there was a, a big turn. However, people had heard that there was this, this incredible book that was forbidden by the church 
that obviously was also a little bit of, a, of a, or, or quite quite uh, uh, an invitation to, to people to try and read it. But in France and Italy, but in France particularly, uh, a, a very big out, outrage against this book, and everyone in England heard about it. So within a uh, hundred years or less, even 80 years or so, William Shakespeare started using things like the evil Machiavel in, in some of his plays. Uh, so Machiavellian had become the slangy, with it expression of the time for, for somebody who's evil and who manipulates the situation in order to get what he wants. Had the work so been that, translated then? No, it had not been translated yet. It was translated, I think, I'm, I'm not quite sure when the first one was, but it, 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 it was done in the 1600s. It, it took uh, quite a few decades for it to come. So Machiavellian, the term Machiavellian, was definitely in, in high use in the English language before the, anyone had read the book in, Eng in English. That's fascinating. Now, that I didn't know. Ah. So uh, what happened when the work was translated? There, there was this uh, great admiration, but also great shock. And I think over the centuries, there, there was the, the kind of reaction to different degrees that, that we still have today. No one is still quite sure, or, or nobody... Maybe individuals might say, well, this is what Machiavelli is saying, but let's say we are not agreed really on, on what his stance is. Is he a, relig a religious man or is he, uh, is he not? Uh, is he cynical? Is he not? Is he kind? Is he not? All these, these, are, these questions are unresolved. He, what one thing he definitely is and, and was is controversial. He, he's a, a skilled writer, and one of the things that, that you mentioned is that that the, his method of argument is absolutely elegant and his language is beautiful. Could you talk about the kind of phrases and constructions he uses to create something simple and direct and yet very controversial? He was a stylist and a careful writer, and uh, if, if one looks at some of the, the manuscripts that, are, that exist in Florence, y you can see that things have been crossed out. Latin words usually would be crossed out, and he would think of a clearer and more direct way of, of writing. So uh, concision, concision, concision is what uh, what he wanted. I see clarity. And uh, I think he managed to do that. So, And he does say at the beginning of the book, in his introduction, I, I don't want to to fill my book with, with lots of, uh, of elegant phrases. Uh, and with that, he means uh, Latin and Latinate terms. I just want to say what I have to say. And I think in, in that sense, he is a, a, a major modern stylist, maybe one that particularly speaks to, to our way of writing in, in this century, uh, where we, we look for concision and exactness. I'd like to get back a little bit to the etymology of the word Machiavellian. So his work was published in Italy to great dismay, especially of the church. Is that correct? He had an, an interesting relationship with the church. Uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, his plays, like The Mandrake, which was quite shocking as well. I mean, shocking, I should say, from a, a sexual standpoint. There are some some wild scenes where the husband is duped into pushing the lover into into the bed of his wife. There's there's a lot of so very straightforward, uh, well, not only slang but but playfulness of language and and bawdy bawdy scenes that made the play a, a big shocker and and not not played for for many years in the at least in the English speaking world uh, throughout the Victorian years and and that. But uh, 
There are also in in that play uh, scenes where the Catholic friar is, is bribed into consenting to to uh, give a, a potion to a young girl for, to have her abort, for instance. So he's touching on all these dangerous subjects after the other. Yet Pope Leo, uh, when he heard about this this play, wanted to see it at all at all cost, and it was brought um, in 1520 to the, the Vatican and, and played there for Pope Leo and his close circle of friends. And and he thought it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, he was very excited by it, even though, I mean, he, he was capable of laughing at these very direct attacks at the church, but they were done in fun and, well, they were all men of the world and, and this was how it was perceived. However, were the were the prince, when it came out in 1533 or 34, I'm not quite sure right now, th- th- then that was different. So, in other words, Machiavelli had, had a, uh, a very checkered relationship with with the Vatican. Now, when it came out, what was the reaction in Italy, and, and did his name become an adjective immediately after that, uh, the publication of The Prince? Uh, yes, it did. It, it did in, in, in Italy, it did in, in France, it, uh, it, it also did in, in England. It, it, ju- it was a neologism at the time throughout the world, throughout the, the known world, uh, which really meant Europe at the time. And who who coined it or who would use that, that word? And could, the, the word Machiavellian, um, was that just uh, something that, that uh, was thrown out by the church to, as, a, as a disparaging term? Oh, no, I, I don't think that the church uh, did that. When, as far as I know, we're not sure who, who first used it. It just appeared in different forms. Uh, Shakespeare, for instance, uses it in, in, in four or five different ways. Evil Machiavel, you know, I will be a Machiavel yet, but his plays are speckled with it. It had also been used before, but who actually coined it, I'm, I'm not sure that we know that. And as the, the meaning of the word, as the word itself spread from Italy to France to Spain to to England how did the the it was all based on the publication of the prince then yes that that, that was what uh, because machiavelli had been known in uh, in florence as as a, a major literary figure and and uh, dramaturg and let's say playwright so he 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 was known and the prince had also circulated in manuscript by the way so it, it wasn't just the publication so people were aware the, the literary the literary crowd, and I shouldn't say crowd, I should say the literary few, the, the elegant uh, major figures, knew, knew what, he was, what he was writing and what he was doing. But it became, uh, it was printed, and the printing press, which was also a relatively new invention at the time, uh, then made uh, his, uh, his fame posthumously, sort of spread like wildfire. Those were very interesting times in the sense if we think that the language was changing, the society was changing, there were wars, there, there were plagues. There was, it was just a very wild and volatile time. As a translator, here you are. Uh, we're in the midst of yet another new world order. And Machiavelli speaks much of new world orders and, and imposing orders on new principalities. And so I... I I have to ask, as you translated this, did you feel that your translation and your ability to uh, 
evoke the elegance uh, of Machiavelli's arguments was was informed by our the time that you were translating in. I wouldn't say that that I approached it like that. What I tried to do was very objectively and coolly to to look at what he was writing and then transfer it, translate it into English. I didn't approach this work with with an agenda of that kind. I uh, had been aware for for many years that reading Machiavelli in Italian was a very different experience to reading him in English, and that was because many of the uh, other translators would look at it as a, a fascinating political philosophy text, and so that was the main thing. How it's written didn't really make matter. It was the, the thoughts, these incredible thoughts and the incredible messages that, that come through this book. That was what was being focused on. So even though I think that is of, of absolute importance, what Machiavelli says is, is incredibly important, but also I think equally important is how he says it, because that that is what... So in other words, the agenda that I had if you want to call it that, was to, to try and capture some, or to attempt to capture that elegance, or to keep it in mind. Because, uh, a, a, as we discussed before, Machiavelli is not just a political figure, and, and The Prince isn't just a piece of political writing. It's a piece of literature. Could you put this in uh, perspective as a piece of literature, both within Machiavelli's canon and within the canon in which he wrote? what she was writing, because there, there are two different things. There's Machiavelli's work, which includes fiction and nonfiction in these kind of political treatises like this. But also there's a, a history of political treatises that this also fits into. The idea of writing a, a book that will educate a, a prince or a leader is, is something that, that was not new. What was new was the uh, what was the scope of it and the depth of it and, and the very, very many levels and, and messages that came through. And he, um, we also find very interesting that while Machiavelli was a, a very, very successful politician throughout his, first, let's say, the first part of his life until the uh, Soderini Republican government of uh, uh, Florence, until that fell and the, and the Medici came in, so un- until then, th- there is writing, and, and beautiful writing, but limited. It was when he was sent into exile that this incredible out- outpouring of, of, of literary works, in other words, after, 19, uh, after 1512, that uh, we have uh, four or five years where, where, where volumes and volumes and volumes of, of compelling and powerful and diverse and original writing came out. So The Prince is one of them. The, uh, the discourses where, where he an- analyzes and discusses and comments on, on, on Livy, on his history of Rome, that is, is also an extremely original book with, with very, very many uh, ideas and political, f- philosophical thought and analysis. It's, it's, a, it's a very sort of interesting and, and, and forward-looking book. Another very original thing that he did, for instance, is the life of Castruccio Castracani, which is uh, a fictional biography. In other words, he took a, another leader, Castruccio Castracani, who from, from being a sort of a poor foundling child became a, a powerful well, dictator, but also prince, ruler in northern Italy. So the, the fictional biography is, is almost like a novel, but also... Uh, does keep many aspects of Castruccio Castracani's life there. And we have the, the poetry. Uh, there is uh, 
plays, we, we, we know of about four or five of them, but uh, many people think there were more. So it's just writing and writing in, in, in every direction, in every form. Now, it, was he, there was a part of this time, he was in jail and actually for some amount of time tortured. When, when does that fit into the chronology of, of his creation of The Prince? We're not always certain of what was written when, but his political career pretty much came to an end in in 1512, and uh, he was imprisoned and tortured 1513. It was believed that he was part of a plot, and that that then he was exiled to his small farm and and lived in in extremely straitened and and, um, impoverished circumstances, and kept trying to return to Florence's uh, government and, and, and kept sending letters and saying, I have an incredible experience, I'm incredibly able, don't keep me out here in the, in the, um, in, in, on my farm, bring me back in, I can help you, I can help you be great. Here is this book, you know. And, and The Prince is, one, is then one of those uh, letters to essentially to those in the, the powers that be, the, the principalities, to please oh, yes. let me in. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. It's, it's I think, the most e- elegant and eloquent plea to please let me back in. As Machiavelli's reputation began to spread with the, with the publication of The Prince and the translation of The Prince, did that change the nature or the meaning of the word Machiavellian? Because in The, in the, in the, the Prince, though he's refers to to cruel and and he has some very cold and calculating um uh advice he really seems to want to create uh, essentially a peaceful republic and he's and he's addressing the means to do so within the real world not within a platonic world where people behave ideally i, I mean he wanted to in many ways he just wanted to create a a, a stable peaceful place where people could live. It wasn't a place where people were going to be executed. He didn't want to live under Machiavellian rules. Uh, well, this is... Uh, what do you mean by Machiavellian rules, by the way? Well, well, uh, in, in that he didn't want to live in a republic that was run by corrupt and conniving princes. He, he wanted... in that That is how I would take to mean Machiavellian, is corrupt, conniving... Um, Scheme. Oh, so you mean Machia- Machiavellian in the in the um, current in the sense. sense of that in the current sense of the Machiavellian? Well, I, actually, I'm I'm not even sure if that is that just the current sense of Machiavellian. I think even today, Machiavellian has maybe these five or six different meanings, and Machiavellian might also. I mean, one of the meanings I think, one of the valid meanings, is also to to strategize and to leave no stone unturned. Let's say in order to get what you want to get. And and that could also be a good thing. I think that to some extent is what what the the the, the prince is about, but only to some extent. And and one has to be very careful, I think, when one considers that. In other words, uh, he does say that uh, that th- there are sometimes you must do something that is could be considered evil if you are looking to do something that's good. So don't f- be a saint throughout because that could also be quite a disaster, and then in the end it would not be as, as good. So you need to be able to choose, you need to be able to evaluate the situation and develop with it. One of the things that I think is, is really interesting uh, about this book uh, is the way that it, the, each chapter, they're very short chapters, it's very easy to read. 
was that the standard way of putting together a, a piece of political philosophy back then? It sure as heck isn't now. I'd be I'd love to see political philosophy books that come out that are a hundred pages long and, and of thirty chapters of three pages each. I you could actually read it and not like go to sleep. Uh, no, actually, the uh, the 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 general trend was to be very verbose, to, to have these beautiful and long and never-ending sentences, either in in Latin or in Italian. And the fact that Latin is a is a language with a, a sort of strong uh, s- structure and uh, grammar that will allow five, six, seven hundred word sentences. Uh, I'm not saying that everyone did that, but you could actually do that because you can have a a, a verb form and then five or six uh, sentences or let's say clauses later on you you can you know where that verb goes so you you have this flexibility to to have a very complex um, uh, sentence and argument and uh, v- very many authors try to do that with Italian as well even though the the, the Italian grammar the, the in other words the grammar of the um, of the spoken language didn't didn't have that uh, it had lost much of its uh, its its grammatical complexity, so it couldn't actually support these kind of sentences anymore. So th- there there was a, a lot of stylistic thrashing around, I think, in the in the literary and also in the political world at the time, and people who were writing, and and Machiavelli was was particularly careful not to fall into that trap. So he, this is also part of the reason why one sees his sentences so beautifully organized, and and he never goes on beyond you you never stop and say what could that mean where 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 could that what what could that be tied in with um because sometimes you need to stop and and, and say is he talking about this prince or that prince i mean not not machiavelli another writer with machiavelli that question never comes up so so machiavelli's style here which is concise and clear and transparent is something that he deliberately created for this work uh, his his own style. I think he has a very very particular way way of writing. That there are incredibly um, sophisticated and elegant writers at the time as well. Ariosto, for instance, is is one of his uh, contemporaries. So I'm, I, I hope I I'm, I don't come across as saying that Machiavelli was the only stylist. Uh, Guicciardini as well was a was a very good good writer, very different, but uh, but also extremely good. So these were there was a group of of uh, literary figures who are trying to 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 bring um a, a new this new language and a new literature and a new uh, uh f- philosophical r- writing based maybe on latin models to bring these things out to show also that that the modern idiom can also create a literature of of, of this elegance so of latin so- elegance so Machiavelli was was part of a, a essentially a, a literary movement, and in many ways, a spearhead of a literary movement to to find the Latin elegance, but in a sparser, more direct uh, modern language. Yes, I, what one finds in, in in general, there seems to be a a feeling that one has when one is creating either a new language or trying to give a language uh, a background, is that one will translate. Um, Classics into it, which is what one thing that Machiavelli was also a translator. He translated uh, Latin uh, uh, comedies, for instance, into into modern Italian. And um, so, what you try to do is that, that you take these great works of the past and you bring it into 
into that language. Um, we, we see that in, in Europe, for instance, with, uh, with minority languages, this is also being done. Uh, Scots, for instance, you have Homer being translated into Scots or, or um, um, James Joyce into, into Haitian Creole to sort of show that Haitian Creole is capable of, of this incredible complexity. Boy, that's... <laughs> so that is something that, 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 that was being done then at the time, too. Uh, it, it interests me what, what you said earlier uh, about this book. It's advice for these rulers, and, and these were addressing people, and, and it's filled with tacit insults to the audience he's addressing. What you mean is, uh, in a sense, how dare, let's say, he, in his state, talk to, to a grand duke or, 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 or prince, let's say, and... and, uh, and, and uh, advise him on, on, on matters. Who is he to do so? Is, is that what you meant? Right, 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 exactly. Uh-huh. That, mm-hmm. that, that he was a, a man of low... Well, he, do, he does... Uh, well, first of all, when by the time he was exiled, he, he, he did have a very long ba- uh, background, a very, very strong and deep background in, in politics. He had been an ambassador in, in Germany, in France. Uh, he'd uh, um, negotiated with the Kaiser. He had done quite, quite well and, and was... A man of great experience. So one thing that he that he did is he was uh, careful and um, modest and said, "Well, uh, I, I have a lot of experience. I have nothing to give you. I'm a poor man, but I do have my experience. So here it is." So uh, th- that was very elegantly put in his uh, in his uh, let's say his preface. Uh, another thing that he said, which uh, actually makes incredible sense, and I think would have also made sense to to a ruler reading this book. And very many rulers did read it and acknowledge it, actually, over the centuries after then, after that. But um, he does say, well, when you're a ruler, you might be on, on a mountain, and I'm, uh, a, uh, I'm down in the, um, in the valleys. As I'm down in the valleys, I have another perspective. I can look up and see exactly where you are and what you need to do, just as you, who are up on the mountain, when you look down to the valley, I can't see where I am here down in the valley among the people, but you can see, you understand what I need. So, in other words, I can help you and you can help me because we have these two different perspectives. He was careful with that. I don't think that there's any arrogance in his... Uh, in his. I, at least I didn't see it as such, and I, and I never, throughout the, the, the translations, also the discourses and the art of war, I never felt he's, that he's being a little bit presumptuous. I, I felt that at times that he was being very, very daring, calling a spade a spade, as one might say, uh, in, in, in sort of shocking ways, but um, in surprising ways, but uh, not, not, uh, not arrogant. No, 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 I, and I uh, agree with you that he does seem more daring. Could, could you uh, cite some examples of where he seems daring and, and maybe uh, talk about how some of the, his daring uh, rolled out to create this adjective Machiavellian um, in, a, in a manner that he might not have himself intended? Well, the, 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 the one thing that he most probably didn't foresee was the, the incredible backlash from the uh, Catholic world. And the Catholic world meant the world at the time. I mean, there, there was uh, the beginnings of, of Luther, then we did have uh, the um, Britain, uh, being the whole Britain being excommunicated along with its king. I mean, anyone who was not Catholic uh, at, at the time in, in, in Britain would, would have been um, 
uh, in in sin will go straight to hell. So that is the one sing single big twist, the beginning of the career of the book as a as a, a very controversial work, and the beginning of the of uh, the, the, let's say the career of Machiavelli's name uh, being used for for this word Machiavellian, because that was the be all and end all. I mean, if if the church uh, excommunicated you, you had nowhere to go. And when I say the world was uh, was uh, Catholic, uh, all, all the nations really were at the time. At the time that he was writing, things were about to change, but they hadn't changed yet. So th that was the beginning of the of the the trajectory of, of of that. Now, as far as advising things, what what he was doing was looking at all the great ancient paradigms, in other words, the ancient rulers and conquerors, uh, citing those who were successful, Alexander the Great, for instance, you know, what he did in order to, to, to conquer the world successfully, and he, he would give examples of that, sometimes surprising ones. Uh, the, for instance, he, Machiavelli would say that uh, Alexander the Great was very... Um, he was ready to to be generous by by giving away w things that were, were weren't his. In other words, he he didn't give away from his own resources, but from others. And that's a very good idea when you're conquering. Be generous with with other people's property. Don't be with yours, otherwise you won't be strong enough to continue. So that's again an element that could be perceived objectively as being cynical. So um, Xerxes, uh, Darius was given as an example. Uh, Cyrus, um, there's a string of major ancient figures. So we look to the to the past to, to see the present, and then look into the future. Was was what he was uh, suggesting? What the work was about? And he also gives counterexamples. Uh, quite famously, Pyrrhus's victory, <laughs> which yes, has now yes. become itself a, 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 an adjective. Could you talk about mm -hmm. that? Well, the, the idea is that, that, that yes, sometimes uh, a victory isn't a victory. And what do you do when you are victorious, but, but at such an incredible cost that uh, ultimately you are destroyed? And that, again, is, is where, where Machiavelli says you have to have foresight, foresight, foresight. You have to see and be able to uh, evaluate things before they become apparent. Because he does also say once they're apparent... It's too late because by then you no longer have the right uh, medicines or medicines that are powerful enough to cu cure a disease that has become so apparent. You need to be able to be the kind of doctor who can see that a disease is about to happen and cure it in its very, very, very first stages. When he refers to Pyrrhus, and does he actually did he actually coin the term Pyrrhic victory? Uh, I I don't think that he did. I think that has that was a an idiom and an idea that had existed since classical times because uh, it, it had been used as, a, as an example of a, a victory of that kind. In other words, a victory that is, in, in, in fact, a defeat. In, in a sense, the, the prince was, was something of a Pyrrhic victory for Machiavelli because he became known for something that wasn't necessarily exactly what he intended. I, I think that... Um, Many major figures like Napoleon, for instance, who who, who read with admiration, um, he had very, very many 
admirers among his among his right which is part of the reason why we still read him so eagerly after after five centuries and i think we'll go continue reading him uh, as the, in the next centuries i hope machiavelli did have a very very wide range of of, of readership and and readers who like uh, uh, the german king frederick who uh, who wrote uh, the anti machiavel which was a, a, a violent attack so let's say an an admiration that was a sort of a violent and negative one if one can even say that so he had readers who reacted that way and then also readers who who react who who took his advice or tried to take his advice so I, I'm not certain. Actually, it would be interesting to to know what Machiavelli would think of of all the the scandal and controversy uh, surrounding his name and and all the the positive things that that are linked to it, but also all the negative. There are very very many layers to people's reaction to to Machiavelli, and that's also maybe what's made it so interesting throughout the centuries. Is is that we don't know what our response is. That we we read it and and we're not quite sure. I mean we. Uh, we take a lot from the book but ultimately i wonder if anyone really knows what machiavelli really ultimately meant and means it's the intentional fallacy we we can never discern the author's intention all we can do is evaluate the words on the page uh, this is very true and i think it's particularly true in machiavelli's case and, and the words themselves are are so elegant and beautiful and sparse it's easy to look at them from a variety of perspectives and come up with a variety of conclusions, all many of them contradicting one another. Yes, and these are the very, very many levels at which one can read uh, uh, the prints. And uh, it is these very many levels that make it compelling and that make one reread it and reread it in, in, in different ways. I admit I've been even reading uh, the Russian translation of it to see what different translators, you know, how they interpret certain things. T tell me about this. This is this is fascinating. Uh, so, it, you've been reading uh, translations into other languages. What, what kind of what happens when the prince gets translated into Russian, into German? Well, I've, I've read. I've, I've read. Uh, one thing I was careful of when I was translating this was not to to look at any not not to, because I don't like being influenced by other uh, translations. But in retrospect, uh, in, in the past couple of years, it, it is has been interesting to to read French versions and. Uh, and Russian versions. One always walks away with the same impression, though. So that, that that was one of the interesting interesting things. Because, for instance, when you read Shakespeare in in, in Italian or or in German, it, it's a very it, it's no longer a translation. It's really an interpretation. So reading uh, Eugenio Montale's uh, Shakespeare, Ungaretti's Shakespeare, sort of is 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 interesting in Italian, for instance. So uh, Machiavelli, um, on the other hand, is so clear and concise. He, he his essential core message is is rather easily translated into other languages, and it seems to to read the same across the spectrum of languages and interpretations. I have heard some Italians say that they 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 find it interesting that it is easier to sometimes, in some cases, read Machiavelli in a, in a different language, because it's there's a certain let's, because when we translate Machiavelli, we don't only translate what he's saying, but we're also translating him across the centuries into into a modern idiom, whereas the Italian in Italian it is Renaissance Italian after all. Not, not as not radically different to modern Italian, but still somewhat difficult for a an, uh, a native Italian speaker who who isn't used to reading Renaissance Italian. 
in that sense, uh, reading a Russian or a French uh, translation of Machiavelli might be uh, might be an uh, uh, an interesting enterprise because it's there's also an element of interpretation in it. Uh, the translator has to to capture some of the timing and uh, timing that 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 you might lose if you're trying to read in if you're struggling through a sentence in Renaissance Italian sometimes. We've been speaking with Peter Constantine. He is the recipient of the Penn Translation Prize, and he's translated a new edition of Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince. Thank you for joining me, Peter. Well, thank you very much. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.